Welcome to the John Mark Comer Teachings Podcast by Practicing the Way. This teaching was originally given at Vintage Church in Santa Monica, California, as a part of a series on prayer. Good morning, everyone. How are you today? Great to see you. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, if you are new to the Bible, John is one of four first century biographies about Jesus of Nazareth, and uh, it's pretty apparent, just go left to right, one to 10, you know how to do that part. And then once you're there, please stand with me for the reading of scripture. We stand just to honor God with our body and our whole life. What we're about to read, uh, we receive as a gift, not just as ancient literature, like the Odyssey or what have you, but as God coming to us. And I just want to curate one short moment of silence for you just to take a few deep breaths into that body of yours and just set your heart before God and just posture yourself to receive whatever God may have for you this morning. Let's read, beginning in verse one. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Take a seat. Just before her death, Mother Teresa made a rare television appearance on 60 Minutes. And there's a spot in the interview where Dan Rather, back in all of his 90s glory, is mid-interview and he asks her, when you pray, what do you say to God? And Mother Teresa's quiet for a moment and she says, I don't say anything, I listen. She was referring to a a stage of prayer that sadly many followers of Jesus never experience. 
But for those who do, it's like a whole other dimension to our life with God. We are working through four stages or dimensions of prayer, talking to God, talking with God, listening to God, and being with God. This week, we come to listening to God, and we kind of shift our posture from speaking to hearing. In this stage, we begin to experience prayer as less of a monologue and more of a dialogue, more of an interactive living back and forth. Now, this raises all sorts of questions that we have to get into this morning. Uh, What exactly does it mean to hear God's voice? Are we just now the crazy people walking around or whatever? And for a lot of you, this likely brings up a lot of fear and trepidation in your own heart. Some of us have been hurt deeply by people claiming to have a word from God. Others of us have seen people make unwise decisions and just drop the, well, God told me card, and who's gonna argue with that when it's really just a thin veil of self-justification? So it's not hard to, over time, develop a bit of a fear of this aspect of prayer. But I would argue that that's baby Ellis last week. Remember the baby? That's baby Ellis. He's, he's not being good this morning. Bad baby Ellis. <laughs> but I would argue that learning to hear God's voice is the single most important task of a disciple of Jesus. Let's look again here at John chapter 10, just a little bit more in depth. Jesus, in context, is teaching his disciples or his students, and he's likening himself to a shepherd in this figure of speech and his disciples to sheep in the metaphor. Look again at verse 2. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. That's Jesus. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep, notice, listen to his voice. Right out of the gate, first thing, the defining characteristic of a sheep is a sheep is one who is listening to the voice of a shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name. So notice the voice of Jesus is not one to many, like this experience right here. It's one to one. He calls his own sheep by name, your name and mine and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So whatever hearing his voice, it has to do with him leading and you and I following. And they know his voice, meaning there's a learning curve here to the voice of God. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice, meaning there are other voices on offer that compete to push and pull our heart in a different direction. Jesus used this figure of speech. Jesus is saying that all of us who are truly his sheep, again, a word picture for his disciples or apprentices, will, quote, know his voice. Notice that Jesus' picture of apprenticeship to him is of an interactive, dynamic, living relationship. It's not just of a faith or a belief system or a choice architecture of habits that are based on his life or practices. It is all of that, but at the core, it is a relational spirituality, a relational way of being before God that is interactive, like any healthy relationship, dynamic. There's a back and a forth. It was said of one of Jesus' disciples, Mary, that she sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. 
This is extraordinary in so many levels. First off, we miss this. She is a woman, and it was unheard of in Jesus' day for a rabbi to take on female disciples. But here is Mary, and to sit at the feet was an idiom. It was a figure of speech in the first century for becoming a student or an apprentice of a rabbi. So here is Mary, and she's sitting under Rabbi Jesus, and what is she doing? What's her posture? She is listening. A disciple of Jesus is one who, like Mary, just spends a lot of time sitting at Jesus' feet under Rabbi Jesus, doing what? Just listening. But this idea of prayer as listening to God is not actually original to Jesus. It's a central theme running all the way through the library of Scripture. If you still have your Bible with you, turn to the left to Deuteronomy chapter 6 which is almost all the way to the left-hand side in your Bible. We spent the last two weeks in uh, the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, or the Our Father in Luke chapter 11. But there's an even more ancient prayer that Jesus himself would have grown up praying because for over a millennium, it was the anchor prayer of the Hebrew people. They would literally pray it three times a day. They would even write it on little scraps of paper, bind it into little kind of leather boxes on their foreheads during the times of prayer called phylacteries and write it again and put it in a little box and bind it to the doorpost of their house all week long. This prayer is found right here in Deuteronomy chapter six. It's called the Shema based on the first word in verse four. Look there. Hear, O Israel, or in Hebrew, it's Shema Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And it goes on. That first word, Shema, in Hebrew, is hard to translate into English because it kind of has two meanings. It means to hear, but also has this connotation of to obey. It can also be translated to heed or to listen to, like when a parent says to their child, listen to me. I did that last night. One of my sons uh, turned 15 a couple days ago. So that, yes, pray for me. So just a mom down here was just like, ah, just like a pain to your heart right there. I just began to touch on a deep wound. I'm so sorry. Um, so we had a, you know, a party. A bunch of his buddies came over, and it was just like a, hey, you know, eat nachos, watch a movie downstairs, like whatever. Just you can stay up as late as you want. And right before I went to bed, I pulled my two sons aside, and I said, guys. And basically I was saying, have a blast. You can stay up as late as you want, but you're getting up at 8.45 to come to church, and I need to preach tomorrow, so just keep it quiet. I need to sleep tonight. I come to preach the word of God, and you need, <laughs> you need to like, like prioritize it. And I could just tell, it was like, yeah, dad, got it, uh-huh, and they're with all of their buddies. I could just tell, like, they were hearing. If I had said, what did I just say? They would have said, you said to be quiet tonight, but they were not hearing me. So I said, Jude, listen to me. And what I meant was, Jude, I want you to actually pay attention and go do what I'm saying. He said, yes, got it. And then he kept me up all night long. I was up, I think, eight times last night. So forgive anything that comes out of my mouth over the next 20 minutes of your life. But it's, it's kind of like that when a parent says to a child, listen to me. We're not just saying pay attention. We're saying do what I say. 
The Shema here is the father saying to his sons and his daughters, listen to me, do what I'm saying here in the Torah, follow my commandments, obey me, and it will go well with you. Early on in Israel's history, the Shema became the center point of their daily spiritual life. In fact, when Jesus was asked what is the greatest and the most important commandment in all of scripture or the Bible of his day, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Love is at the center. Love for God and for neighbors at the center of all Christian spirituality. For Jesus to listen and obey is the single most important thing in all of the spiritual life. It's one way of summarizing all of Christian discipleship. Now, I have to mention that many of you likely have mixed feelings about this word obey. Maybe because you have been hurt by an authority figure who used and abused that term over you or even the spiritual authority over you. Maybe that authority figure was a parent or a pastor or maybe just because you live in LA and this goes wildly against the dogma of our be true to yourself kind of self-defined culture. But a disciple of Jesus is one who by definition is listening for Jesus' voice with one intention to obey it, to follow through, to live it out. Jesus' final words to his disciples in Matthew's biography, chapter 28, are go and make disciples or apprentices of all nations. That's referring to you and I here. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Immersing them into the Trinitarian reality of love that we call God. And teaching them what? to obey everything that I have commanded you. This is at the end of Matthew's gospel. The Sermon on the Mount is at the beginning. Teaching them to obey everything that Jesus laid out through his gospel. Learning to hear Jesus' voice is one of the great tasks of an apprentice of Jesus. Learning to obey his voice is the even greater task. To do this, we must first come to believe or a better word there is come to trust, that obedience is not an obstacle on the path to a happy life, it is the path. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order, defined sin as unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. It's the best definition of sin I have ever found. It's an unwillingness to trust, right? That's Adam and Eve in the garden when they chose to trust the voice in their head and the desire of their own heart to redefine good and evil rather than to trust in the word of God. That is the core of all sin embedded into the culture all around you and I. This moment we're living through where any form of external authority particularly if it's God or scripture or coming through some dude like me, anything external is suspect at best. But this may take a long time. Discipleship is a process of learning to trust Jesus' wisdom over our own, slowly but surely, year over year, And until we come to trust in the deepest parts of our hearts that what God wants for us is only our deepest happiness, 
We will not desire to even hear God's voice, much less obey it. We won't want to know what God is saying to us because we'll be scared that God may ask us to do something we don't want to do and we will still trust our own desires more than his. But once we come to trust Jesus' wisdom and good intentions toward you and I, the driving aim of our life will increasingly become to listen for his voice, not to control our life, but to more deeply surrender it. And that needs to be said because many people only attempt to discern God's voice when they face a major decision and are scared of the future. Often this isn't so much an attempt to listen and obey as it is a kind of divination or magic, an attempt to almost like using God like a psychic, an attempt to bypass pain based on the false assumption that if we hear God's voice and do what he says, nothing bad will happen to us. Run that through the grid of Jesus of Nazareth in the end of his story. But when we sit down and listen to Jesus, our goal is not to get divine fortune cookies about which way our life will go. It's to follow the intimations of our shepherd wherever he may lead us, even when, like in Jesus' own story, the Father will lead us toward pain and not away from it, down and not up, into the darkness at times and not into the light. Listen and obey. The question is, how? How in the world do we do this? God doesn't have a body. He doesn't have vocal cords that make sound waves that go into the you know, hair follicles in our inner ear. How do we hear God's voice? Well, there is no one size fits all formula for how to discern his voice because God comes to each of us inside the contours of our own life, your personality, your gender, your ethnicity, your background, your story, your wounds, your gifting, you. But there are common denominators. Let me offer you six ways or mediums through which we hear God's voice. Jesus, scripture, circumstances, desire, the prophetic, and listening prayer. First and foremost is Jesus himself. Listen to this from the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times. The prophets basically are the authors of what we now call the Bible. In many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful what word in fact Jesus is called the word all through the writings of the New Testament um, this will sound a little odd to you if you grew up in the church or spent much time in the Western or the Americanized church there's a weird quirk that I grew up with where modern Western Christians call the Bible the word of God and I guess that's okay, but the Bible never calls itself the word of God. It calls itself other things, the law, the prophets, scriptures, the writings. It doesn't call itself the word. When you read the word in the New Testament, it most of the time is referring to Jesus himself. John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That is Jesus, the second member of the Trinity in like theology speak. And it's often referring to the word or the message or the gospel about Jesus and his kingdom. When Jesus preached the word, we read in Mark's gospel, that doesn't mean that he sat down and taught the Bible. That means he was preaching, he was announcing the good news of his coming rule and reign in the kingdom of God. 
Hearing God's voice, all I'm saying here, is that hearing God's voice begins and it ends with Jesus, who is the word. All the other ways that God communicates come through Jesus and point back to Jesus. That said, God does speak to us through scripture. Some of the library we call the Bible is the written record of like straight up God's audible voice from heaven, such as the 10 commandments on top of Mount Sinai or the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus on top of the Mount. But much of the Bible is God coming through the minds and imaginations and biographies of human writers. And yet all of it is a medium by which we listen to and obey God. Obedience to the teachings of scripture in both faith or orthopraxy, right thinking, and in practice or ortho, what did I say, orthodoxy was the first one, sorry. So when I, when I try to pretend like I'm smart, it just goes bad really fast. Also practice, right living, both are a form of obedience to Jesus. When we reject the teaching of scripture, we reject and rebel against Jesus as Lord. As Paul said to the Thessalonians on the New Testament, interesting in context, he's writing about the New Testament's teaching on human sexuality. Anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. There is such a thing as theological immorality, So reading scripture is, unsurprisingly, essential to hearing God's voice. Now, there are all sorts of ways to approach scripture, but there's one in particular that many years ago the monks actually developed that is especially geared to listen for God's voice. The monks called it Lectio Divina, and that's not because they were trying to be smart. That's because it was a long time ago, and they spoke Latin. And that's a Latin phrase that basically means spiritual reading. Why we call it Lectio Divina today instead of just spiritual reading, I have absolutely no idea. But when you read a short passage of Scripture, slowly in a spirit of prayerfulness and quiet meditation with the heart open to receive whatever God is saying to you. It's different, uh, and you just ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate a word or a phrase or an idea to let it kind of come off the text and into your life. It's different than Bible study, which is another beautiful way to approach scripture. If Bible study asks, what did this text mean to the original audience, to them then, and how do we apply it to our life here now? How do we live it out today? Lectio asks, how is God coming to me personally through this text? Now, we have to be careful here not to manipulate the Bible or allow the deceiver to manipulate the Bible as he tried to do with Jesus himself, if you know the story of Jesus in the desert. We are not asking for a new meaning, and that's why Bible study continues to be integral. We're asking for what aspect of the original meaning the Holy Spirit is wanting to directly impress into our own life. This way of reading the Bible has become an earphone to God's voice for countless followers of Jesus around the world and down through history. For me personally, this is one of, if not the primary way that I hear God's voice. I do this every morning. It doesn't even take that long. Every morning, I will read scripture in a, I did it this morning, very early, in a, very tired because of my sons, bless them, in a quiet spirit of meditation, 
I will read, I will reread a few times, mostly the Psalms or passages from the New Testament. And almost every single day, a phrase or a word or a sentence or an idea will just kind of almost lift off the page. And it's not like lightning bolt from heaven. There's just like a highlighting where something seems to come by the Spirit into my heart. I live on those daily words from God like spiritual bread. Not a, I, I literally write them down because it doesn't take long. It takes about three seconds. Stick it in my pocket and carry it with me to live on the word of God. So second is scripture. Now, before we move on, a lot of people stop here. They're like, I'm all for Jesus in the Bible. Let's be done. I'm a Western post-enlightenment person. I'm okay. Thank you. Honestly, it's, it's silly when you put it this way, but many Christians at least live or think or at least live as if a long time ago God said a whole bunch of really important things and some good people wrote them down, but ever since, heaven has been closed and silent. And while the canon that we call scripture is closed, heaven is anything but silent. The God about whom the first recorded words are, let there be light, who literally spoke the universe into existence. That God is not mute. He is still speaking. Let me offer you a few more ways that God continues to speak. Next is through our circumstances. Now, this is an area where there's a wide spectrum of Christian thought. There isn't a unified kind of Christian position. I don't even know what this church believes yet. I should, I should know that. Let me ask Gary about that this week. All followers of Jesus agree that biblically there are multiple wills at play in the universe. There's God's will. First and foremost, God has a will, good intentions. There's our will. I have a will. So do you. We often don't follow God's will for our life. Human will. There turned out to be several billion other people who often don't follow God's will for their life. Spiritual beings will, both the good ones that we call angels and the evil of demonic energies that play in the cosmos, namely the Satan in the language of Jesus. And even nature has a, a will of sorts. There's the animal kingdom, there's global warming, there's eons and ages, there's patterns in the climate and more. Where followers of Jesus disagree and debate is on how exactly all of these wills interact. Some disciples of Jesus emphasize God's sovereignty or rule over the events of life, and others give more place to human free will or even demonic kind of rebellion against God's rule and reign. But here's what I'm getting to. All disciples of Jesus agree that at least some of the circumstances of our lives are the shepherd's voice coming to us to lead us and guide us. Opportunities, closed doors, limitations, giftings, relationships, where and when and to whom we are born, the situations we find ourselves in, God is often in those circumstances coaxing us forward into his will. As Paula de Arce once said, God comes to us disguised as our life. Learning to discern how God is coming to you through the events of your life or the non-events of your life, through what is happening to you or what is not happening to you is a key part of learning to hear God's voice. Fourth is our desires. One of the way we discern God's voice is by listening both carefully and critically to the desires of our heart. 
Now again, much of secular culture, kind of just the wider LA world around us, basically indoctrinates us every single day with the mantras of be true to yourself and speak your truth and you do you and follow your heart and be true to your authentic, all of that. Now the assumption there in the wider culture is that all external forms of authority, God, scripture, some person like me, Christian tradition, are inherently oppressive. And you have to throw off those external forms of authority and you have to listen to your internal authentic desires which are the inner compass that will guide you into a happy life. I just have to ask, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for your friends and your family? Now, there's enough truth in that that it gets traction in our heart. But there is more than enough error in that worldview. And that is, that is a worldview. That is a religion. That is a belief system that you have to take on faith. Trust me, if a scientist were to study whether external authority forms or the internal desires of your heart lead you to humor flourishing, I would put good money on one of the other. But that's a faith, that's a belief system. That's the dominant faith of our secular West Coast world. How's it working out for you? The writers of the Bible, at best, that is a grossly misleading concept. And the writers of the Bible have a far more sophisticated view of desire. Now, if you grew up in the church, you may not have gotten in touch with just how sophisticated and complex and beautiful a Christian theology of desire is, because often there's this kind of overreaction to kind of secular cultures, follow your heart. And in the church, it's almost like the opposite problem of all your desires are bad, and people misquote Jeremiah, the heart is desperately wicked, which is true, but you have to read that in context. And then it's just like all desires are bad and suspect and just suppress them. How's that working for you? I'm guessing that's not working well either. But actually, a Christian theology of desire is so sophisticated and tender and wise. The scriptures would teach us that the heart is complex. Jeremiah says the heart is desperately wicked, and a few paragraphs later says that God will write his will on our hearts. Our heart is both full of beauty and ugliness, of light and of shadow. Some of our desires left unchecked would lead us over a cliff into ruin. But other desires are actually God at work deep in our heart. A professor I had many years ago on Ignatian spirituality once said to me, sometimes our desires are God desiring through our desires. As a general rule, desire is a good indication of design. God made birds want to fly and fish want to swim. And dogs, actually people kind of made dogs. God made wolves, but whatever. Dogs want to come up and lug you, right? That's because he made them to fly and to swim and to be people's best friend or whatever it is. And often the desires that are welling up in our heart are God coming through our inner self. I think of, read it the other day in Philippians chapter three, to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Now, because the heart has been infected in a way by this kind of disease that we would call sin, our desires are now all a mixed bag. And every single one of us in the room, we have to sift through our desires to see where desire comes from the spirit, where it's just us, where it's our parents, where it's our peer group, where it's the algorithm that we've been fed on Instagram, where it's it's manipulation of advertising. We have to sift through this, but what we're trying to get at is where is the spirit of God coming through my own heart? 
Overall, desire is one of the ways we hear God's voice. So if you feel a desire and it won't go away and it's moving you in a direction, that may be the voice of God. Fifth is prophecy, dreams, and visions. God speaks to us through one another and through the mystery of the Spirit of God. In the New Testament, this falls under the umbrella of the prophetic. Prophecy, contrary to what a lot of people think, is not primarily predicting the future or pronouncing judgment. Most of it is what the writer Paul calls strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. If you came to that recent prayer training, you were taught how to hear God's voice on behalf of another person. And it is often as simple as when you go to pray for a friend or a sister or a brother, just pausing a moment of silence, of breathing, and just opening your imagination to God before you pray and just waiting to see if a word or a phrase or a scripture or a picture or a memory comes to mind and then just offering it in a spirit of humility. I feel that God may be wanting to say to you, test it against scripture and community and so on. I believe deeply in this type of prayer and frankly, I could not explain my life's autobiography to you apart from prophecy's central role in my discipleship. Other Christians from other traditions would be very leery of the prophetic and just say things like, hey, when I was praying for you, I had this thought. Um, or I felt like I was meant to share the scripture with you. That's how Baptists prophesy. They don't believe in prophecy, but they prophesy all the time because they're good people, have the Holy Spirit. They just need some more Bible in their life. And um, <laughs> so they'll prophesy over you and just say, I had this scripture come to mind, or I had this thought, or I had this feeling, I felt like I was meant to say it to you. That's the prophetic. God also speaks through dreams when we are asleep. And through visions, which are kind of like a waking dream. In scripture, in both the Old and the New Testament, this is actually one of the most common ways that God speaks. Read the book of Acts. It's all through there. After the resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, for the first decades of record that we have of the early church, God is speaking through dreams, speaking through dreams, direction, guidance, warning, wisdom, coming in the night. Without going into it, this is one of the main reasons we moved to LA. Uh, five or six years ago, I had this vivid, I'm not much of a dreamer, but I had this vivid dream, and it's long and complex, but the short version was we were moving to a particular city, and at the last minute, all of our plans fell through, and I dreamed that we instead moved straight to this uh, neighborhood that came up in this green space. I never heard of it before in my life. I woke up and I had to go Google the neighborhood. I'd never heard of it in my life. It's 10 minutes from here. And a year ago, we were moving to this other city. Apparently, I was not listening to God very well. And at the last, I mean, last minute, all of our plans fell through. It was heartbreaking, and that got me thinking, oh, I remember that dream. Oh, maybe God was in this. Oh, maybe I need to go tour this place and pray. And, and long story short, I now live in the green space that I dreamed of six years ago. With dreams especially, you have to learn how to interpret symbolic language. But under the broad banner of kind of the prophetic, somebody offering a word, an inspiration, a dream, a vision in the night, this is actually one of the primary ways that God continues to speak to you and I today. Finally, the other side of prophecy and the most pertinent to this week's coming practice is listening prayer which is simply waiting quietly for God to speak into your mind or your heart. The Holy Spirit, and most of you realize this, is within you, not outside of you. 
Your body is called the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God. You have, in the language of the New Testament, the mind of Christ. You have access to the mind of God. Because of that, God also has direct access into your mind and your inner life. People often wonder, why doesn't God speak audibly? Why, don't, why can't I just get on like his email subscriber list like James Clear and everybody else? Why can't I get an automated text message or isn't he on Slack? I mean, it's gotta be easier to get a hold of than this, right? And that's a great question and there's not a simple answer or even a clear one. But certainly one of the reasons is that God doesn't need to. He has direct access to your mind, your imagination, your heart, the sensations of your body itself. Think about what is communication? Communication is guided thought. If I say to you right now, imagine Gare Jones, who's away on the Alpha Weekend right now. What's in your mind right now? (laughs) Gare Jones and his lovely, smiling, joyful, wonderful self. I am controlling your mind. Isn't that so creepy? It's like the creepiest thing if you frame it that way. That's what communication is. You're guiding another person's thought where you want it to go. God doesn't need to speak in an audible voice to guide your mind. He can reach directly into your mind stream and direct our thoughts and our feelings and our perceptions and the ideas and images and memories and intimations of the future and even sensations in our body itself. We often have a thought come to mind, and if you're anything like me, I will often think, wait, is that God? No, I think, I'm, I think, I'm, I think that's just my head. Of course that is in your head. Where else would God speak to you? Your head is where thoughts are formed. It's where emotions are created. It's where ideas are born that direct the course of your whole life. All of our life is in our head and that all of life is an experience of consciousness. Now, all of our thoughts, just like our desires and our circumstances must be tested or weighed to determine the source. Hence the role of scripture and the teachings of Jesus. But the truth remains, God can and will speak directly into our thought life. Why would Alexander Graham Bell mail a letter to his friend when he could pick up the phone that he invented and call them? Why would God speak audibly to you when he could just guide your mind and your heart into his words and his will? Of course, like Elijah in the cave in 1 Kings 19, and if you're, again, new to scripture, I highly recommend you read that this week. It's a beautiful story. Most of us experience God's voice as a, quote, still, small voice, like in the story, not as a deafening yell. The Hebrew phrase there can be translated a gentle whisper, or even one version has the sound of gentle silence. Much of developing a rich prayer life with God that is interactive is just learning to quiet your mind and your nervous system and your body. As our mind is jumpy and distractible and prone to negative rumination, and our world is more and more of what C.S. Lewis once called a kingdom of noise. Learning to quiet the outer noise and the more difficult inner noise and just sit before God and wait for his voice.
On that note, we have two simple spiritual exercises for you this coming week. Both are in the guide that, again, is available for free or outside. The first is Lectio Divina. I'm guessing many of you already do this, if not just intuitively, because the Spirit of God is at work. And if not, what a great time to start. Again, don't let the Latin scare you off. Just get somewhere quiet, distraction-free. Take a few deep breaths. Become present to your body in the moment. Ask the Spirit to silence the voice of the enemy and to feel it just to, as you read, to illuminate what he is wanting to say to you. There are four basic steps, but it's not this linear. You don't have to follow any order. You can just read prayerfully and quietly. But the basic steps are read a passage slowly and just look for what shimmers, what comes off the page. Is there anything that feels like it's highlighted to your spirit? Then reflect, reread that passage again two, three more times if you want. Again, slowly, prayerfully, just turning whatever comes off the page, just turning it over in your mind in a meditative spirit, just waiting on God, letting God fill in your thought life. And then respond by praying those impressions back to God. If there's a word, a phrase, a sense that you had, I had one this morning, just pray that back to God. Articulate it in your own words. And then to end, rest. Just take a moment just to sit in God's loving word to you. The second exercise is listening prayer. And again, same thing, it's so simple. Find a quiet, distraction-free place. Take some deep breaths. Situate yourself in your body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Pray, Holy Spirit, come. Silence the voice of the enemy and illuminate my mind and imagination. And then just wait and see what comes into your mental field of vision. It will likely be a word like peace or hope or trust or a phrase like it's okay or you don't have to hurry or give it time. It could be anything. Or it will be a scripture. Particularly if you regularly just immerse yourself in the writings of the Bible, then God will be able to draw on his truth and put it back into your memory. That's why these two things go together. It may just be a thought, like a, hey, I had this thought, or a picture in your mind, especially if you're a more visual personality, or a sequence of pictures, almost like a short film that kind of plays in your imagination. You may want to ask God specific questions, like, God, do I take this job, or what do I do about this person, or how do I handle this situation? Or you may just want to sit before God and just say, is there anything you want to say to me? The key is to then wait quietly, with a heart of peace. To recap, there are at least six ways that God continues to communicate. Jesus, scripture, circumstances, desire, the prophetic, and listening prayer. My point is that in prayer, we are learning not just to speak with God, but to listen to God, to hear his voice, and to obey it. To end, all of these modes of listening to God require what the New Testament writers call discernment. Discernment is the ability to sift through the ideas and events and thoughts and feelings and circumstances of our life and clearly see what is God and what's just my own imagination or my dad's opinion or the cultural liturgies of our day and what is God's voice coming to me. Without discernment, we will get wildly off base or worse, open up our mind and life to lies from the world and the flesh and the devil. 
And discernment is both a work of the spirit inside us and it's a skill that we develop and get better at over time with experience and practice. But again, it is something we do in community, not alone. We do not hear God's voice just by ourselves. But growing in discernment and with it our ability and willingness to hear Jesus' voice and obey it is a key task of an apprentice of Jesus. As Jesus said in the passage we read at the beginning, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, direct, interactive, personal, relational knowledge, and they follow me. I am the shepherd, they follow me. How do we grow in the ability to discern Jesus' voice from all of the other voices in our head, in our city, and on the internet? It's simple, it's just the same way we learn to discern the voice of our best friend, or our spouse, or our parents when we're babies. We just spend a lot of time listening. Think of the phrase like, I would know that voice anywhere. We've all had that experience. You're just at a coffee shop or a restaurant, all of a sudden you hear an old friend or a parent or a family member, you're like, whoa, whoa, in the cacophony of noise all around you, you recognize that voice. Think of Jesus' word picture of sheep. Sheep are not known to be the most intelligent of all animals. (laughs) Jesus was not like, you're the snow leopard up in the mountains of Nepal, just smart and cunning and you don't need anyone and even National Geographic can't find you. That was not his metaphor. It was like, it was like that was the metaphor. If sheep can learn to discern what is the voice of the shepherd and what's the voice of a thief or a robber, then surely you and I, human beings with the capacities of a human brain and the spirit of God within us, surely we can learn to discern what is the voice of Jesus, what's our own flesh, what's the world, what's somebody's opinion, and so on. Our practices for this week are all about kind of learning to quiet your mind and body and listen for God. So much of the spiritual life, and let me land the plane here, so much of the spiritual life is just about waiting. That's why it's so incompatible with the pace of so much of our modern life. That's why it will touch on our impatience, our controlling spirit, our distractibility, our hurry, all of that. But so much of the spiritual life is just learning to sit quietly before God and wait for his voice. In prayer, we wait for a word that we cannot give to ourselves. This is not just mental hygiene. It's not self-talk. It's not just positive mental manifesting. It is waiting for a word from God that we cannot give to ourselves. It has the power to unlock a new reality. And hearing God's voice takes more than just a quiet mind and even a patient spirit. It also takes a surrendered heart. Why would God speak to you? Why would God speak to me if we have no intention to obey whatever it is he says? Which is why Jesus often would say in his teachings at the beginning or the end, if anyone has ears to hear, let them what? Hear. So as we end, may you have ears to hear and may all of us, myself included, like Mary, sit at the Lord's feet and listen for his word. Let's stand together and pray. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Practicing the Way. 
a simple, beautiful way to integrate formation into your church or group. All of our resources are completely free, thanks to the generosity of The Circle, a community of monthly givers who partner with us to see spiritual formation integrated into the church at large. Special thanks for today's episode goes to Jody from Cookville, Tennessee, Dustin from Portland, Oregon, Beth from Lake Zurich, Illinois, Thomas from Soldatna, Alaska, and Kevin from Lexington, Kentucky. Thank you all so much. To join the circle or to learn more about running a practice in your church or community, visit practicingtheway.org.